Morning. Let's get into the Word together. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. I think it's such a unifying thing that we've written great songs as the church in the past, and we sing those, and we're still writing great songs that we're singing together as a church that are really saturated with Scripture. Uh, it's just such a unifying thing, isn't it? To sing together, not just with each other, but with saints of the past, the same songs that they sang. Continue to work our way through the letters in Revelation. Be in chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. This is the center of the letters, fourth, and it's the longest of the letters. And so after today, we'll kind of be on the back side of John's vision of Jesus revealing his word, his report card to each of these churches and to us. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. And to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what, I ha- what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my, keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we believe this is your holy and Aaron inspired, authoritative, sufficient, necessary word. We need it. We need it. More than anything today, we need it. Father, as I consider what we're going to talk about today and the context and the the setting and, and the truth of the word, I want to pray particularly for our children growing up in a world that is pressing on them with great intensity to adopt the sexual ideals of the world. 
Lord, it's, it, it's in their face <laughs> from a very young age. And so I pray. I pray for discernment. I pray for wisdom. I pray for courage. I pray for faith. I pray they would choose young by the power of your spirit that they are not going to live according to the principles and the powers and the systems of this world. That their way of thinking would be different, that it would be biblical and they would commit to that, Lord. They would see and they would taste that you are good and your way is better, that it is reality and that when we push against the grain of the universe, against your reality, Lord, we will get splinters. Life will not go well. So I pray for our children. I pray for our parents that they would be equipping, having these conversations now because we can't afford to wait. So, Lord, raise up a generation of young men and young women who stand for the truth, who are unflinching and unafraid of whatever they might lose because they know what they'll gain. Lord, we are no fool to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. I pray, pray for these young people that that would settle into their hearts and they would resolve to obey you no matter what. That they might come home. And this life may be hard, but they might come home. We ask now your blessing on this word, Lord, make it effective and effectual in your power, for your people, for your glory. Amen. As I said, it's the longest of the seven letters here in Thyatira. It's, it's probably the most unknown of the cities. It wasn't really an impressive city. It wasn't really anything special about it. And there is high praise for Thyatira, but there is also serious, serious problems. Um, they have love, but not truth. They are faithful servants, but way too tolerant of the world, particularly related to sexual immorality. Sexual sin has its own intrinsic allure. We know that. We all know that, or else we wouldn't do it, <laughs> of course. But there's something more going on here. For these Christians in Thyatira, obeying Jesus was going to cost them. It was going to cost them something. Rejecting the sexual morals and ideals of their culture was going to hurt them socially, economically, relationally. Does that sound familiar? Ever heard of anything like that? Anyone still have doubts? that these letters are for us today and not just nice history lessons? <laughs> this has massive implications for us today, and we're going to explore them. Today, tolerance of people's sexual choices is not enough. You must affirm, and you must participate in them. If you do not, cost Social, economic, relational consequences. Let me give you one example, and there are hundreds, thousands of them. 
A few years ago, coaches at a CrossFit gym in Indiana planned a, a, a special workout in conjunction with an organization called Indie Pride, which is an LGBTQ organization. So the kind of local gym coaches planned this event, and when the management of the gym got word of it, they canceled it because according to their conviction, to promote wellness did not align with the LGBTQ movement. So they canceled the event. Well, there was a protest. Many members of the gym resigned their membership, coaches quit, and the gym was forced to close. Then, an executive at CrossFit, and this maybe wasn't the wisest move, but he tweeted his support for the gym, saying he was proud that they had acted according to their convictions, and he did not, as a Christian, agree with the LGBTQ movement. He also said that he had, in the tweet, homosexual colleagues who he loved, respected, was happy to work with, and that he was proud to work for an organization that tolerated disagreement within the company. He was promptly fired. Every situation is different, takes wisdom to navigate, but the fundamental question is this. Are you willing to compromise for the sake of convenience? Are you willing to go along so you can get along? Is Jesus and his word one influence among many in your life, or is it the controlling center of your life? You've got to make that decision. Many professing Christians today are showing that social, economic, and relational consequences are central in their life. That in a pinch, you know what, after all, God's word actually isn't authoritative. I know I say that, I know I sing that, I know I'd agree with that, but in a pinch, when it comes down to it and the heat is on me, actually no. I care more about my livelihood, I care more about my relationships, I care more about my standing and reputation in a social circle. This was what's happening in Thyatira. There is incredible pressure on Christians to, to compromise, to rationalize sin and idolatry because, hey, i got to feed my family. God doesn't want me to lose my job, not be able to feed my family, does he? Right? You couldn't want that. But Jesus doesn't validate situational ethics. Follow me as long as it's not too disruptive to your life is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible in Luke 14 is this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, just what did he just say? That's radical. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus has to be so precious to you that all the other people and things that you love, by comparison, it looks like hate. He's so high that that people you truly love, by comparison, it looks like hate. That's how much you have to love Jesus to be his disciple. That's his words, not mine. And that is a great comfort for many of you who have given up a lot to follow Jesus. He's proud of you. He's pleased with you. You are worthy to be his disciple if you're willing to give up everything. Do you have ears to hear what he's saying today? Is your heart and mind open and receptive? Let's get to it. Three points. Praise, problem, and promise. Praise. Jesus begins with himself, who he is. Always, everything begins with God. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So like Trevor helped us with last week, uh, this is warrior Jesus. I like this part in particular. <laughs> He's not wearing an apron, okay, in this particular context, baking muffins for the bake sale. This is not the Jesus we meet here. I do love muffins. Don't you? They're just fantastic. If you're taking notes, blueberry would be a favorite. And it's just, it's neither here nor there, but I do know someone who likes gluten-free blueberry muffins, uh, just someone close to me, so, you know, just putting that out there. Um, I think if Jesus did make muffins, it'd be really good, moist, delicious, wonderful. I'm getting, I got to rein it in here. Get back on track. This is, this is the Jesus where you look in his eyes and it makes you very uncomfortable because he's looking into your soul. Uh, he's a little scary. And, and, and the feet of burnished bronze, you remember, this is strength, stability, purity of his life. It's interesting, the primary god that was worshipped in Thyatira was Apollo. So kids, if you know, kind of you're, you're studying the Greek gods, son of Zeus, often pictured as a warrior on a horse with a battle axe with two sides to it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, he's not real, but I am. And I'm going to give everyone according to what he has done. The sovereign warrior king has very high praise for Thyatira. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Notice the contrast with Ephesus here. Ephesus had lost their first love. They were regressing. They were going backward. Thyatira, they're growing. Their, their most recent good works were even greater than the first. Jesus is pleased with that. He's pleased with you when you apply yourself to grow. So you need to hear that. Don't settle for a, I'm pretty much the same as when I was converted 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years ago. I really haven't changed very much. You might be going to heaven, but that's not good. 
He's praising them for growing. How do you grow? Well, you come to church. (laughs) You apply yourself to reading good books, to reading the Word, to prayer, to seeking out mentors and disciples to help you grow. Like, hey, help me grow. How do I I grow? You have fellowship with other other believers. You, You have friends. You pursue it. A lot of things that you have to be intentional about pursuing, and that pleases the Lord, and it's really good for you. His agenda, friends, in our life is change. It's not to stay stagnant. It's not to punch your ticket to heaven and then sit on your hands for the rest of your life. If we're not doing those things, if we're not getting outside our comfort zone, we're just not going to grow much. Okay, that's the praise. How about the problem? It's lengthy. We're going to camp here for a while. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, this is probably not her real name. This is a reference to the Jezebel, the Old Testament, First and Second Kings. If you know the story, wife of King Ahab, she seduced the northern kingdom of Israel into idolatry, worship of Baal, sorcery, not a great lady, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, at this time, we know from, say, 1 Corinthians, there were female prophets, okay, that were part of the church. But Jesus says, that's not who she is. This is a woman who had become part of the church. Ladies, hear this. Part of the church, respected in the church, teaching in the church, gaining traction in part because she's using the God told me language. She's playing that card. Have you ever heard anyone say that to you? I just had a word from the Lord. You know, I was just doing my devotions this morning, and God told me. It's hard to argue with that, isn't it? How do I, that's sort of a trump card. Like, what do I say when you just said God told me? I, mean, I, I was reading the Bible. I thought God was speaking to me too, but maybe you got something, something special here, something extra. I would just say if anyone says that to you, just, just take a step back. Okay, I'm just going to push the pause button here on whether or not I'm, I'm going to listen to what you're saying. So we don't know what she said, but maybe it was something like, I was just praying this morning, I got a word from the Lord, and he said to me, don't be so legalistic. You can eat food sacrificed to idols. He doesn't want us to be legalistic. Oh, well, I, I, I mean, I guess if he told you that, you seem pretty, hmm. Somehow she's deceiving. Somehow she's seducing. Hey, if your heart's in the right place, doesn't matter what you do with your body. That sounds hmm, plausible. Aren't we supposed to obey the authorities? They're the ones telling us to do this. It says, you know, in the Bible, remember Jesus rendered to Caesar and Paul, Romans 13, yeah. It's oh so slippery. The silver tongue of Satan gives you just enough truth to create a good lie. You're not going to believe a lie unless it has some truth in it. You understand that. She is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. The word, the verb is pornuo. The noun is porneia. 
and to eat food sacrifice to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. How merciful is Jesus? He's not obligated to give anyone time to repent. One sin, that should be over if we got strict justice. But even someone like this, look how patient he is. I've given her chance after chance after chance. But the patience that was meant to lead her to repentance, Romans 2, was actually making her feel validated in what she was doing. Nothing's going to happen to me. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm fine. Look, I'm doing what I'm doing. God must be approving because nothing's happened to me. Hmm. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will also throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. So she's been luring people into her bed. Jesus is going to throw her into a hospital bed. This is a glimpse. This is a flicker. This is a taste of the wrath of God, which is now being revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness, in part. And those fully on board, those who are like, yeah, man, I'm with her. I like what she's saying. I like what she's putting down. They're going to die. That's her children. So that everyone will know Jesus is king and he's not playing. Churches will know, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give each according to your works. Understand this. Jesus is really merciful, but he is not tolerant. Don't mistake his forbearance, his patience with tolerance. meant to lead you to repentance every sin will be accounted for whether in hell or on the cross one of the reasons some of these Christians are compromising with the world with sexual immorality is because it's tied in with their livelihood uh, with business Their jobs often literally depended on it. The guilds they belonged to, the unions they belonged to required these things. It was just part part of things. You just had to do it. Or you didn't and probably lost your job. So how might we, in our day, be tempted to participate in the sexual immorality of our culture that might be tied in with business, with our livelihoods? Two areas. Number one, LGBTQ. What do we believe? As Bible-believing Christians, we believe the Bible clearly teaches that any sexual activity outside of a one-man, one-woman marital union is sinful. And that it does not lead to happiness or flourishing. We believe that the Bible clearly teaches biology, not your psychology, determines gender. 
Your body determines whether you are a girl or a boy, not how you feel. To deny that is sinful, and it does not lead to happiness or flourishing. It breaks our hearts. We believe our call is to love the sinner even as we hate the sin. In fact, one of the most loving things you can do for someone is hate and oppose the sin in their life. It's not loving to say it's okay. It's not. Look at these letters. Is Jesus, what's he doing? Let's do that. We believe there is grace, forgiveness, and help for every sinner, every struggler, and that we stand beside, not above, any person struggling with their sexuality or gender. We're not over them, better than them. We're with them. We do not demand that you agree with us. Let me say that again. We as Christians do not demand that anyone agrees with us. We don't demand that. We don't try to force you to change your behavior. We don't try to force you to change your behavior. Do you notice a contrast (laughs) culturally in that statement? We simply try to persuade you of what we hold to be the truth. Openly, honestly, sincerely, not twisting your arm, not leveraging things. Furthermore, we believe that God himself, rather than condemning those who practice such things, and folks, we're all sexual sinners. Let's just get that out there. (laughs) Instead of condemning all of us, And in particular, these things, the God that we believe in came down to save us and to die for those very sins that he didn't commit, but we did. Because he wanted to give joy, peace, hope, a future as a free gift. You don't have to do anything. Now, Even if you're not a Christian, to me, that sounds pretty reasonable. That sounds pretty kind, pretty generous, not hateful. Maybe I'm blind to it, but uh, it doesn't feel that way. Why then does that message provoke such hostility, such offense, such visceral anger? When you bind up your very identity, who you are with how you feel, when you are your desires, when you are your desires, this is where our culture is at, it is impossible to separate the person from the behavior. Tracking with me on that? It's impossible when you're thinking this way to separate sin from sinner. They are one and the same. So for us even to say, we, we hate to sin, but we love you, like that does not compute. Because I am, I am what I feel. To disapprove of behavior is an assault on the person. It's an attack, not just on what you did, but who you are. That's how it's received. That's how it's interpreted. 
to say that is wrong is equal to physical assault. Because your very identity, the real you, is 100% dependent on being able to freely and fully express who you are. Anything that gets in the way of that, that's an assault. That's an attack. You may not have physically hurt them or assaulted them, but to them, yes, you did. Carl Truman puts it this way. Today, in a world where inner psychology dominates how we think of ourselves, feelings become very important in how we think of harm. In that world, the personal religious beliefs of our neighbors are of concern because disagreement implies that at least one of us is wrong. And today, that constitutes a form of oppression. Pockets may not be picked, legs may not be broken by religious conservatives, but feelings are hurt, and identities are therefore marginalized, oppressed, and denied legitimacy. Therefore, for any business, school, institution that is thinking this way, even allowing verbal disagreement to these things is tantamount is equivalent to supporting injustice. You see that? You cannot let, let people even say it because that is possibly hindering someone else from fully expressing who they feel they are. That's injustice. This is why doctors who even verbally disagree with castrating children who at 12 years old think that they are in the wrong body and need to change genders, even to say that, they're accused of being a hateful bigot. They're accused of, of denying access to health care because they would dare to disagree. I don't care that you took a Hippocratic oath to do no harm to me. Who are you to decide, doctor? what is harmful to me. I get to make that decision. And if I want to do something, if I want to do this, your job is just to do it. I don't care. You can give me all the statistics about depression and anxiety and suicide that follow what I'm asking you to do. It doesn't matter. You don't get to make that decision. I do. No questions asked, no opposition allowed. Imagine if we took this logic and applied it to drug addiction. It would be a form of oppression and injustice to, to deny someone who felt they wanted to do drugs and be a drug addict. That's what they feel. Who are we to stand in their way? Who is your family to stand in your way? Consider if we applied this logic to pedophilia. Well, I feel this. Who are you to get in my way? This is the logic behind what's happening. You have to understand it. Before you can relate to it, you have to understand it. Anything, anything that disrupts someone's inner desires is problematic. How do we respond? 
couple things. First, remember, Christian, you have a better story. You have a better story to offer, a story with a truly happy ending, a story where God's way actually works, a story where there is redemption from pain and sin and struggle, a story where God fills the empty and heals the broken. And we have a better culture, people. Like, we should not be afraid of the culture that we have that's based on good news. That's based on love. Inclusion here is not about what you must do. It's about what's been done. So, you come as you are. It's okay not to be okay. Jesus promises to take any and all and to love them and help them unconditionally at the deepest level. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good culture. That is so different from the world. That is so different from LGBTQ movement. It's all law out there, folks. It's all law. It's all do this and you shall live. Discover your sexual orientation and you will live. Figure out your gender and you will live. Make people use the right pronouns and you will live. Agree with our ideology and you will live. If you don't, you're going to die, figuratively. There's no grace in that. Do you hear any grace in that? I don't. All I hear is law. All I hear is slavery. It only leads to anxiety, sadness, confusion, frustration. People need what you have. They need what you have. They need the hope of the gospel. Amen? Amen? They need what you have. No one else has it. And if you don't say it, who will? If you don't help them, who will? If you don't come alongside them patiently and help them, who will? Secondly, it's more important than ever to know what you believe and why you believe it. If you don't, here's what can happen easily, and it's happening every day. Friend or family member comes out as gay, lesbian, queer, transgender. Christian is told that loving this person means affirming them, affirming their choices. The Christian realizes that God's word doesn't allow that. The Christian chooses to affirm the person by rethinking God's word, reevaluating what they thought they knew. How could a God of love disapprove of sincere love? Love is love, isn't it? Who am I to judge someone's choices? I want to say, if that happens to you or in your family, in your orbit, it's really hard. It's super hard. We've walked through our own things. It's really, really hard. But if you move off of the authority of Scripture for one thing, what I can tell you is the next thing will be that much easier. 
It's like a domino. And, and this, what we're talking about today, is often the first domino. Because it can be so personal. It can be so personal. How, how could I not fill in the blank? But pretty quickly, over time, you will find yourself, everything's up for grabs. You know what, now that I think of it, I don't really like this part of the Bible. And I don't like this part. I'm not sure about this. And really, your faith was built on sand, not on the rock. This is testing. This is what he's talking about. Build on my word. Because when a storm comes, that's the only thing that is sure. You don't want to go there. As much as it might feel like you ought to, you don't want to go there. Because it only gets easier. You got to know what you believe. You got to know why. Third, third way we should respond. Some of you need to hear this. We, we shouldn't be obnoxious. We shouldn't be harsh. We should not be engaging primarily on these issues on social media. Foolish. But we should be ready to experience loss for what we believe in. Are you ready? Are you ready? Some of you already have. To experience loss for what you believe in, it's coming a day when you may be asked by the federal government or the military or a school or a corporation to sign a document saying that you agree with principles of inclusion, diversity, equity. Now, like in the real meaning of those words, I'm, I'm all in. Great. But you better read that document carefully before you sign it. You better think hard about what you're signing on to. You better think about Thyatira. And act with courage of conviction. These are the moments that determine whether you will conquer the world. You conquer the world by not adopting its way of thinking because its way of thinking is anti-God. Don't be seduced. No matter the cost. That's, that's the bar. It's a high bar, but that's just the bar. That's the bar for making it, and you want to make it. Okay, deep breath. Number two, <laughs> pornography. Here's what I want to say about this related to the text today. It'll be shorter. We compromise. We compromise with the world as it relates to sexual immorality in pornography, most of us tend to think of it as an immoral action, which it is, but it's also an immoral industry. It's a business. And you participate in it every time you search or you click. You might say, well, it's free. I'm not paying any money. I'm not contributing to it. Oh, yes, you are. Being on those sites is like putting a tip in the tip jar of wicked and evil men. When you click, 
you tip. By clicking the site, you are tipping the people behind it. In essence, you're saying to the three billion, catch that, three billion dollar pornography industry, good job, keep it up, I like what you're doing here. That's what, that's what you're communicating. That's just a fact. Don't think nobody else is getting hurt here, just me, alone, in my room, on my phone. Don't think that. You are participating in a system that is destroying billions of lives. Billions of lives. It is a system filled with abuse, victimization, shame, abortion, suicide, emotional devastation that it would be hard for you to imagine. It is satanic. It is demonic. And it breaks Jesus' heart, but it also makes him really angry. He searches minds and hearts. Whatever your justification is, he doesn't buy it. He sees through it. Well, everybody does it. Well, I had a long day. Well, I'm just curious. My needs are not being met. He calls you to repent, and he calls you to stop tolerating it in your life. And, folks, that's what it comes down to with this. I mean, I'm all for accountability. I'm all for filters, software, all of it. Great. If that helps, do it. But when it comes down to it, it is your will deciding this is not going to be who I am. This is evil. This is hurting people, not just me. Enough. I'm done. That's it. That's what it takes. Holiness is decisions, brothers and sisters. It's not waiting on the Lord until I just feel, you know, I'm just at a great place in my life, and now I think, no, it's making a decision. In the power of the Holy Spirit, and you do have that power, you can say no, (laughs) and you can say yes to better things. You can fill your mind and your time with much better things. Go pull weeds. Go cut the grass. Go do the dishes. You can do anything better than that. When you make those decisions one day at a time, one decision at a time, it does get easier. Okay. Let's close with the promise. Let's close on a happy note. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Catch this, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. For those of you who are parents, isn't it true that the things your kids love most are usually doing things with you? Doing what you do? Feels true to me. Don't listen to your teenagers, okay? They do want to be with you, all right? Even if they tell you you're weird, ew, get away, they do want to be with you. I'm just 
Don't believe it. I let one of my girls mow the lawn the other day for the first time by herself, and I was standing out there kind of checking in on her, and you would have thought I handed her a credit card and said, go to Disney World. And she was so happy. She was so happy because she's doing what dad does. She's doing it with dad. That is Jesus' heart, to share his reign with you, to have you alongside him, filling the world with righteousness and justice forever, to fight alongside him. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you're going to be fighting alongside Jesus in the great war at the end. You ready for that? You preparing for that? All glory will go to him. But he wants to share the glory with you. He's the one on the, on the white horse who will be conquering the nations, treading them down like, a wine, like, like grapes under a wine press, just crushing them. But you're going to be there right alongside him, sword in your hand or something. He's offering you himself, the morning star. He says in chapter 22, I am the bright morning star star. Friends, he doesn't want to just rule over you. He wants to rule with you. He doesn't want you to just obey him. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you to just be his servant. He wants you as his friend. That's the heart of Christ. That's why he says a hard word to us, because on that day, he wants us with him Forever. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your word leads us to places that are uncomfortable, that challenge us. We thank you that you love us enough to challenge us. Lord, I pray in my own life that I would heed and hear this word that it would be for me before it's for anyone else. And I pray, Lord, you would grant us courage of conviction that we would be the church, be who we're meant to be, representing Jesus Christ, and that we would lead and love with courage of conviction, not according to convenience. Prepare us and ready us for the test that we will meet and our meeting, that our kids and our grandkids will meet. Prepare us for battle. Even though our weapons, Lord, are not the weapons of this world, they are faith, love, hope, truth. We ask in Jesus' great name. Amen.